Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Picture yourself alone in the middle of nowhere, and there's somebody following you. He went on his way, we so thought, and then we went on ours. But in reality, he really followed us up there. On Deadly Nightmares, the true crime podcast from ID, listen to real stories of ordinary people stalked by serial killers and attackers. (laughs) Please, tell me we're not going to die. Listen to Deadly Nightmares on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The following podcast contains content about stalking and sexual harassment that may be triggering or unsuitable for some listeners. Discretion is advised. Previously on Unraveled, The Stalker's Web. This guy is a menace. He's a stalker. He's psycho. He'd go in the computer lab and he'd record people logging in and get their credentials that way. You block him. He's got like 300 other accounts. You never make this guy go away. I started getting emails of burned infants. The owl poem. That thing is terrifying. Take one human, cut the cheeks midline, break the lower jaw, collapse the palate. Who the fuck does that? When we first encountered the horrifying stories about Jason Christopher Hughes and the people he terrorized online, it felt like we had uncovered a -a once-in-a-lifetime type of predator. This was a man who collected victims by the dozen, continuing to stalk and harass old targets while constantly adding new ones, with upwards of 50 on his list. He wrote graphic depictions of torture. He sent photos of charred children to his victims. And he made veiled death threats. He contacted employers, romantic partners, and family members, leading to lost jobs and shattered relationships. But as unsettling as it's been to learn about Jason's actions, there's been a haunting question hovering over our investigation. What if he isn't a -a once-in-a-lifetime predator? What if there's another Jason Christopher Hughes developing right now? Or a dozen more? Or hundreds more? The story of Jason Christopher Hughes is impossible to hear without asking yourself, what kind of person would do something like this? How did he get so messed up? What has to happen for someone to turn into a Jason Christopher Hughes? So we wanted to go back to the beginning, to the person who was there with Jason from the start. 
he was a sweet boy. He was a kind boy. He didn't get in trouble. He didn't fight. I love him desperately. That's Cynthia Hughes, Jason's mom. It was clear to us that Cynthia loves her son, genuinely. But we soon found out that the feeling isn't mutual. He hates me beyond words. I'm telling you, he hates me virulently. He says horrible things about me. It's just very, very sad because I, I had so much hope. How did this, quote, sweet, kind boy, unquote, turn into one of the most dangerous cyberstalkers we've ever encountered? He does have the ability to completely ruin your entire life. Once he's made up his mind, that's it. He puts you on this list and you are to be erased. He would make me pay. He's hurt people before. I deserve to die. He's one of the most dangerous people I've ever had to investigate. Just seems like wherever I go, there he is. From Discovery Plus, ID, and Joke Productions, this is Unraveled, The Stalker's Web, a six-part podcast investigating the story of one of the most prolific monsters to ever prowl the cyber world. And we'll see how the power that such a criminal has can lay waste to reputations, careers, relationships, and even lives. I'm Alexis Linkletter. And I'm Billy Jensen. To understand where Jason came from, you first have to understand where Cynthia came from. A small town in Oklahoma and a family situation that she was desperate to escape. My mother's an alcoholic. She used to beat me with a belt, you know, when I was little, to where I had to wear those Susie Long legs to school every day to cover the welts on my legs. I ran away from home when I was 16 and went to San Francisco with a gentleman named Bob Hall. He was somehow involved with producing uh, some of the early Led Zeppelin stuff. Bob dropped me off at Ramon's house, and he was supposed to be back in three weeks to pick me up. He didn't come back. Ultimately, um, got involved with Ramon. I slept with him one time, one time. I was 16 and became pregnant with Jason. I had Jason in 1970, in November. I had just turned 17 in April. I gave birth to Jason in Shawnee, Oklahoma. I married his father, who was uh, 11 years older than I was. And we had a little little house out in the country in, in Oklahoma. It was just Jason and I and Ramon, but we were together only 18 months. He had been a, um, three years in the in Marine Special Forces in Vietnam. And it turned out he was uh, not well from that experience, I guess is the best way to put it. I was afraid he'd lose patience with Jason and hurt him in, in some way. And I finally just, that was it. In the 18 months, how was he with Jason? He played with him and, and was dad to him until I got the divorce, and then it wasn't his kid anyway, his, his attitude. If it hadn't been for Jason, I don't know that I would have continued to live. You know, he completely changed my life, having that baby. 
Given the instability of Cynthia's youth and early relationships, perhaps Jason acted as an anchor, giving her a sense of purpose. Of course, Cynthia's divorce from Ramon put her back home, living with a reportedly abusive parent, this time as a teenage single mom. So her next move kind of made sense. My mother introduced me to Bob Long. He was a musician and had a band called the Ups and Downs, or the U- later the UPS band. He went on the road a lot. His life was on stage. Cynthia and Bob got together. The musician lifestyle clearly appealed to her. In 1974, when Jason was three and a half, Cynthia and Bob started expanding their family. Heather was born. She was planned. Um, I wanted to have another child. Then, um, after two, two years after that, um, Bob wanted me to try have a son, so I got pregnant with Eric. Something you might notice while listening to Cynthia. She discusses a lot of this emotional stuff very matter-of-factly, whether positive or negative. The more we heard about what she went through, the more we understood why she adopted that approach. If you don't become hardened to certain things, it could crack you. Like what she told us next. Bob started up an affair with a female vocalist in his band. I knew that the affair was going on, but he had said he was going to come back. He didn't. And when Eric, that was before, just before Eric was born. And when Eric was born, the day after he was born, I had to appear in court and I got my divorce. And he just was not involved in their life after that. So that was that. Did Bob ever make an effort with Jason to be close to him or anything like that? Not really. Bob didn't make an an effort to be close to anyone. Did Jason see him as a father? No, he never cared much for Bob. Once again, Cynthia was a single mother, this time with three kids. She decided that for the good of her children, she didn't want to move back in with her mother again and was willing to go to great lengths to avoid that. After Eric was born... He was 19 days old. We, we, I came to Montana with my sister in Virginia City. I stayed for almost a year trying to make things work. Jason's almost five. What kind of little boy is he turning into? Oh, he was delightful. He was just delightful. He was a kind and gentle child. What was Jason's relationship like with his siblings when they were all young? He loved them. He adored them. They all played together. Despite Cynthia's positive description of Jason's character, his life was very likely in chaos. We asked Cynthia if, in hindsight, his lack of a father figure had a big impact on him. I think that Jason was always hurt by the fact that his father didn't acknowledge him. I think he feels rejection very acutely. I think a boy needs a man to be a role model, to show him how to be a man. You know, because a woman can only do so much. I can't, you know, I can't be a man for my son. I think children need both parents. Jason's birth father no longer wanted anything to do with him. And his stepdad never showed him any interest. We spoke with Dr. Michael Nucitelli, founder of iPredator.com, which provides a framework for defining and analyzing different forms of cyber predators. We wanted to see what he thought. Dr. Nucitelli has not diagnosed Jason directly, but he was willing to offer some insights. 
I have studied for the last 10 years I predators in all different venues. And Mr. Hughes, the level of cyber stalking is incredible. The fact that father left early could certainly have impacted how he viewed the world, but it doesn't dictate what he has become. It increases the probability, but it's not causal. All aspects of cyber criminal behavior is rooted in power and control. And that's what it's all about. So why would Jason have this insatiable desire for power and control? It's unclear if abandonment issues alone could turn Jason Christopher Hughes, the once gentle child, into Jason Christopher Hughes, the cyber stalker. But whatever effect it had, the instability of Jason's early life was about to get a lot more complex. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Picture yourself alone in the middle of nowhere, and there's somebody following you. He went on his way, we so thought, and then we went on ours. But in reality, he really followed us up there. On Deadly Nightmares, the true crime podcast from ID, listen to real stories of ordinary people stalked by serial killers and attackers. <laughs> Please, tell me we're not going to die. Listen to Deadly Nightmares on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. I'm very lucky to have a close relationship with my amazing mom, and I'm doubly lucky to be friends with some amazing moms. The thing is, this means that every year, right around this time, I get those panicked phone calls asking for Mother's Day gift recommendations from, obviously, their partners. So I was excited to learn about StoryWorth just in time for Mother's Day 2024. StoryWorth is an interactive way to preserve your loved one's stories for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question like, what do people get wrong about you? Or what's the most incredible trip you've ever been on? All your loved one needs to do is respond to that email with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. StoryWorth will send you a copy of your loved one's response, and after a year, StoryWorth compiles the stories and some photographs into a beautiful hardcover book that will last for generations. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. The moms in my life are big-hearted, hilarious, and they're all super storytellers, so they're going to love StoryWorth. I just know it. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash unraveled. That's storyworth.com slash unraveled to save $10 on your first purchase.
Jason Christopher Hughes started life in an unstable situation. There was no reliable father figure, no financial security, and a young mother who was struggling to make things work. Then, things were about to get shaken up even more. I was trying to raise three kids on welfare, and I was rear-ended on the way to the grocery store by a Winnebago. I have no car, no vehicle to get groceries. I gave up. I gave up, and I went back to Oklahoma. I moved in with my mom and my grandmother again. My mother's an alcoholic. My grandmother's having cerebral accidents and walking around, holding my kids up by the arm, saying, "Where? who is this child, and where did they come from? You know, it wasn't always like that, but she had spells. Anyway, it was just getting harder and harder to be there for the children and to make enough money. You know, I was a baby raising babies, and I, and I didn't know what to do. My sister, Dee, said, why don't you give them up for adoption, Cindy? So I decided, all right, a private adoption. If anything happened to the adoptive family by divorce or death, custody would revert to me automatically. My sister adopted Jason. One of my good friends took Eric, and this couple who had adopted one child through the Catholic Church wanted Heather. It killed me. It killed me to give up those kids. But I felt like it was the best thing for them, that they needed security. As Cynthia focused on building more stability in her life, and potentially for her children, she looked for opportunities away from her mom. She considered joining the military, and together with a friend, she hit the road. Then life gave her an interesting detour. We got stuck in a traffic jam outside of Albuquerque, and um, I saw a group of people selling t-shirts for Rufus and the cars, they were doing a tour together. So we went and helped them sell t-shirts, and they asked us to finish the tour, and we did, and that's how I got involved with rock and roll. If it hadn't been for rock and roll, I think I would have killed myself. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I would have. I was on tour for a year about. I, I, I set the sound stage for Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons and Harry Chapin and Firefall Foreigner and Little River Band. Harry Chapin and I did an album together. Poor Damn Fool was about my ex-husband, Bob Long. And um, If You Want to Heal was a song he wrote for me. We weren't able to fact-check these claims about Cynthia's rock and roll lifestyle, especially whether she did an album with Cats in the Cradle singer Harry Chapin and was hanging with the cars. But if she was off chasing her musical dreams while leaving Jason with another family, even if she thought he was better off, we can only imagine how this added to the feeling of tumult in his life. But he and Cynthia would get a second chance. Well, my sister filed for divorce, and so I got in the plane and flew home to get Jason in Billings, and that was that. Jason was with me, and we were together. I bought a townhouse, and Jason and I were living there. At seven years old, Jason was back with his mom, while his siblings remained with other families. They could start over, but this time with a more singular focus on each other. 
From Cynthia's perspective, things were in a good place, and Jason was showing tremendous potential. He went to school. He played with the cats. He loves animals. He always had cats. He was all about books and reading. He was really, really brilliant. When he was in the the first grade, they tested his IQ, and it was 180. And they told me that, and that he had the general knowledge of a ninth grader when he was five years old. For reference, an IQ of 100 is considered average intelligence. 145 is considered highly gifted. 160, genius level. Whether Cynthia remembers the number accurately is up for speculation, but she does remember being told Jason was very smart for his age, but he struggled to make friends. He got teased a lot because he was smart and he was different. He mentioned, you know, things to me. You know, somebody slammed his hand in the locker or something, making fun of him because he was not socially apropos. He wasn't really socially active at all, and that concerned me. At a Halloween party, he tried to kiss some girl, and she kicked him in the nuts. He came home crying with tears all down his face. He never tried to have a girlfriend ever again. When he was like 10 or 11, I hired a therapist, and he saw him all through junior high and high school once a week, and that was gave him a man that he could talk to about things. The balance Cynthia tried to achieve in Jason's life would soon be affected by two key events after he turned 12 years old. The first was a bit of childhood entrepreneurship that led to a very significant purchase. Jason uh, sold kittens. I, I have a pair of cats that I gave him, and he sold kittens and bought his first computer when he was 12. And that was pretty much his life his computer. He'd go to school, he'd come home, he'd do whatever homework he had and get on the computer and he'd be there until he went to bed. He had codes that he had to learn to to program his computer and stuff. He was he was brilliant you have to understand he brilliant beyond words. He would spend days on the computer until he would walk by you and you'd go, oh, Jason, you know, <laughs> hit the shower because it was, he was just, he wouldn't eat. And that concerned me. The second significant event was a big family fight that involved Cynthia, her mom, and Jason. It got ugly enough that police were called out to mediate. And when it was over, Jason went to live with his grandma, at least for a while. The disruption ended up creating a situation where Jason was able to play mom and grandma off of each other, leaving him without consistent supervision during his formative years. He would fight with me and go stay with my mom and and then fight with her and come stay with me. So he was like back and forth. He cannot have more than one family member that he gets, he's close to at a time. He felt conflicted as to who his loyalties lie with. Do you think any abuse occurred while Jason was living with your mother? He told me once 
that she pulled him out of bed in the middle of the night when she was drunk over some stupid thing. But he was so big and she was so old by that time, you know, that I didn't think that that was an issue. And, and as far as I know, it wasn't. We don't know exactly what went on between Jason and his grandmother. But he was again living in a sort of transient state, bouncing between homes. He was also possibly being picked on at school and finding his only real escape in his computer. Here's Dr. Nuccitelli again. Children who are bullied, they are at much higher rates themselves of becoming bullies. The difference is, in a pre-information age world, to be the bully, you had to have size and you had to have strength. Well, now as a cyberbully, you don't need to have any physical attributes. From what I've seen, particularly what he has written, what he's communicating, he seems he borders brilliance, that he's a very intelligent man. It's just unfortunately that intelligence has been used for nefarious reasons. But is that enough? Can bullying and brilliance alone create a Jason Christopher Hughes? I tend to believe there is genetic predisposition, and if there is abuse, if there is disharmony, if there is massive breakup, you take all that and put that together, that really can increase a child's probability to begin engaging in both offline and online nefarious activities. Did you catch that last part? He mentioned offline nefarious activity. After all, the internet wasn't available to Jason in the 80s. Was he engaging in other illicit behavior back then? In at least one way, Cynthia would find out he was. I never knew him to drink, but as far as drugs, I didn't know that he was using until my daughter told me that he was, he was, he was, um, he grew um, cactus. It was a psychedelic cactus. He used it frequently, but I never saw any of that. He was eating peyote cactuses that he grew in my grandmother's. My grandmother had one room of the house that was just full of plants. At that time, I wouldn't have known a peyote cactus from any other kind of cactus. Drug use obviously proved to be a big interest and influence in Jason's life. Later, it was a regular topic of conversation with women he was trying to lure in. As you might remember from this line in Vanessa V's interview. He starts messaging me, hey, here's some great pot recipes. But Jason wasn't just dabbling in drugs. Cynthia didn't know it at the time, but even before Jason hit puberty, he was already a full-fledged stalker. What could I have done different? You know, I tried to give him everything he needed and most of what he wanted. And I tried to be there for him as much as I could. I was away a lot, but I was never more than a telephone call away from him. He was, he is, was 
the most important thing in my life. I loved him beyond measure. I want to reiterate, I think Cynthia Hughes' love for her son is sincere. I think she's heartbroken by what he's become. I also think it's clear she had many struggles raising him. And those challenges prevented her from having the same perspective that an outsider looking in would have. She even overlooked things that were happening right in front of her, including significant interactions Jason was having that in the moment may have seemed benign, but in hindsight are incredibly important. At what point do you become aware of Jason's pen pal? Well, he would have been 16 years old. He'd wanted to go meet her and she didn't want that, so they broke off their pen pal thing. I didn't even know he was writing to this girl. He was heartbroken, cried for days. And then I never heard another word about it, ever. Jason started writing to his pen pal in fourth grade. And Cynthia had no idea it was going on, much less the horrible things that Jason was saying to her. According to a statement she wrote a few years ago, Jason, quote, sent her hundreds of letters detailing the terrible nature of his home and life, unquote, and that the subject matter of his letters became increasingly dark and threatening over a period of years. His letters also referenced the occult, cannibalism, and anarchism. And he claimed that she and his cats were the only two reasons why he was not killing himself. As disturbing as all of that is, it gets worse. Cynthia told us that the pen pal broke things off when Jason was 16, but apparently Jason could not let it go. When this woman was in college, Jason showed up at her dorm unannounced, and then when he got rebuffed by her, he started threatening to kill her and her family. This pen pal was presumably Jason's first foray into the world of stalking. And he ended up being so good at terrorizing her that after she got married, she and her husband actually moved overseas to get away from him. Of course, we know what he did after she left. He found dozens of other targets here in the States and developed his stalking skills even further with these new victims. But Cynthia says she had no clue he did this sort of thing. She just thought Jason was shy and nerdy. He had a group of guy friends and they played Dungeons and Dragons at each other's houses. He never dated until he went to college. He graduated high school in 89. He went to Seattle and worked for some lawyers as data input. Then he went to Eastern Montana College for a bit, and then I got him into Antioch. It was at Antioch College that people beyond his fourth grade pen pal became aware of his behavior. I understood that he got involved in, with some girl and she rejected him and he got drunk and on mojitas or something and was had took the lid of a tin garbage can and was in the hallway banging on it, yelling at her to come talk to him. The uh, dean's office contacted me and told me that Jason had done this and, you know, that there was a possibility that he would be expelled. Well, they didn't expel him, but after that semester was finished, he never returned. Jason's collegiate experience at Antioch had quickly deteriorated, as did his first romance. But as Jason moved about the country looking for new opportunities, he found another chance at love. 
and her name would prove to be significant. He met a woman named Vanessa. She had a, a maroon mohawk and a mouse in her hair. And I thought that was pretty bizarre. She wore skirts and miner's boots and was probably 150 pounds overweight. But she was very smart. They had a lot of talk to talk about. This woman, whom we'll be referring to as Vanessa M., appears to be the first Vanessa to have a significant impact on Jason's life. And although we're maintaining her anonymity, it's not because she was one of Jason's victims. Quite the opposite, in fact. According to Cynthia, they had a tight bond that was forged in part by a traumatic incident they endured together. She got pregnant, and Jason was over the moon about this baby. And he was painting a bedroom lilac. Because he called me, he said, Mom, you think it's all right if I paint it lilac? Because I don't know if it's a boy or a girl. You know, and I'm like, sure, that's a good color for either one, you know. And then the next I heard, she had gotten attacked and went to the hospital. And when she went to the hospital, she found out that the baby was dead. Did you say she was attacked? By somebody, yeah, that's what she said. She was attacked in Georgia on her way home from school or something. I, I, but Jason was absolutely devastated because he was so looking forward to this baby. That's when he started to change. Losing that baby in Georgia did something to him. And Vanessa definitely did something to him. <clears throat> she was evil. Pure evil. We were unable to confirm any sort of attack on Vanessa. But even though we don't know what happened with her pregnancy, Cynthia says she was able to see the changes in Jason under Vanessa's control firsthand. After she lost the baby, he brought her to Montana. First, I tried, you know, I, I tried everything to get, you know, I was kind to her, I was nice to her, but she had a tremendous influence on what he became. And it was her lie that caused the rift between Jason and I. This lie, as Cynthia tells it, happened one weekend in 1996. Jason and Vanessa were living with Cynthia's mom. Cynthia had gone out of town to meet a friend. Jason would cut her trip short. I got a phone call, you know, late at night. And he said, Mom, you've got to come home. I said, what? He said, well, Nana got drunk and she's throwing us out. Mother had a thing where when she got really drunk, she'd get argumentative, and if you argued with her, she was going to call the cops. We learned how to turn the phone off so she couldn't call the police. But this time, he jerked it out of the wall. So I went home, and I just drove straight, jumped in the car, got home, and I said, Mother, you know you can't drink, you know, and because this is what happens every time. Vanessa said, well, Jason didn't have to scream and pull the phone out of the wall. Well, we sat down, we're talking about it, and I said, now what's this, Jason, that you, 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 you pulled the phone out of the wall? Was that really necessary? And he said, who told you that? And I said, Vanessa did. And she says, no, no, I didn't. Well, mother knew what had happened, knew Vanessa was lying, and said, that's it. You out, both of you out. So I went out and got an apartment for him. 
and I rented it for them for a month, and I gave them $200 to buy food. And that is the last time that I actually spoke to Jason. I think Vanessa convinced him that, um, you know, I was evil and bad because I controlled his life and, and or whatever, and that I was just trying to create problems between the two of them. He saw things in black and white all the time. And if something hurt him, then he didn't want anything to do with that or anything like that. And it was just out of his life. Cynthia believes Vanessa forced Jason to choose a side, her or his mom. And Jason stuck with Vanessa, which cast Cynthia, his mom, into the role of an enemy. It's an analysis that Dr. Nucitelli says has validity. Black and white thinking happens to be a major tenant of borderline personality disorder. Black and white thinking is either you're on my side and we're, we're allies, or you are against me and you deserve to burn. You throw in some narcissism where everything that's occurring in my environment uh, is in some way related to me. Now you're starting to see what could very well be a person that ultimately engages in cyber stalking and online victimization. According to Cynthia, Jason severed ties with her permanently in 1996 and ultimately moved away. She didn't hear about Jason's horrifying habit of cyber terrorism until two decades had passed, when she herself became a target. It was either 15 or 16, and he's found me in, in Facebook, and he, starts, he started in on me with all this horrible stuff. He started saying stuff about me putting acid in their baby bottles, and it was where people could see it, you know, on my Facebook. It hurt me. You know, I cried about it. You heard that right. Jason accused his mom of putting acid in his baby bottles. We know Jason made a habit of smearing his targets with vicious lies. Was this just a typical Jason attack? Or could there possibly be any truth to this claim? Whatever happened in Jason's childhood, Cynthia hadn't realized what he had become. Until now. I looked him up on the computer under Jason Christopher Hughes, and I was shocked and, and just, it was appalled at what I read. Cynthia found the reports that Jason's victims had begun to compile in order to expose his actions as a way to push back against his stalking. I could not believe my eyes and my ears when I saw what he had done and heard what he had done. I don't know that person. He's not the person I knew. I heard, read that thing about the pet owl, and I was shocked. You know, I never dreamed he could ever do anything like this. Oh, I almost vomited. Why would he want to? You know, waste his time and his brilliant mind 
on garbage like that. You know why? I don't, I, I don't understand it. Ever since she learned this devastating information, Cynthia has struggled to make sense of it. I don't think it's just pure evilness on his part. I think he is ill in some way. I have no doubt that he has Asperger's. I was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome in um, two th- 2010, and two of my, my grandchildren are diagnosed. And I think that that, I question whether or not he has the pituitary problem that runs in our family also. It causes tremendous hormonal changes and biological changes in heart rate and body temperature. It could be that. Here's Dr. Nutitelli. God bless mother. She loves her child, and she's doing what most mothers do. It's called externalization of blame. It's the reason why my child is acting the way he is is because of A, B, C, D, and E. But Mr. Hughes is 100% a resentful cyber stalker. I'm not in between his ears, but he is in a vendetta. The black and white thinking has got him to think that he has to avenge these things that has happened to him. I abhor what Jason has done. I abhor it. But um, if he is the way they say he is now, it's better that I don't see him. Because I would break my heart even more to see him like that. I've never, I've never seen him like that. Cynthia has resigned herself to the fact that she will never see her son again. But she tried to keep up with him through reports from other family members. What I heard is that he had um, went to New York and that he got married and that now he was living with her and her parents. If he was really in New York, that could narrow down the FBI search area. But where in New York? Jason had become quite skilled at using online tech to hide his location, using proxies and VPNs to make it seem like he was operating from Europe or Asia. How is he doing this? And could the FBI crack his defenses and pinpoint his location? The answer, as we'll learn next week, is yes. Next time on Unraveled, The Stalker's Web. I have not ever given an interview anything about my brother before. It is painful for me. We were swept under a rug by our mother. It's not like he just woke up and was this way. It was definitely created. The internet can have a strange effect on people. And I don't see this trend of cyber stalking subsiding anytime soon. It's often very difficult, if not impossible, to identify those behind the curtain. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to say whatever I want. 
and you can't stop me because I'm invisible. Oh, he was mean. Don't get me wrong. But it's one thing to get online and argue with someone. It's another thing to tell them you got a shotgun and you've killed people before. It just it blows my mind. Unraveled is produced by Joke Productions for ID. The executive producers of this podcast are Joke Finciun, Biagio Messina, and Jeff Kuntz, along with myself, Billy Jensen, and Alexis Linkletter. The executive producer for ID is Tim Bainey. Additional producing and writing is by Eric Smith. Our editor is Aaron Frischia. The music and score that you have heard in this podcast is by Biagio Messina, Dave Pellman, and the Alibi and Nimble Libraries. I want to extend a special thanks to Cynthia Hughes for sharing her story with us. If you or someone you know has a story to share about Jason Christopher Hughes, you can email us confidentially at unraveledtips at gmail.com. You can also visit survivingjason.com for more information and helpful resources on cyberstalking. Make sure to check for episode five next week wherever you get your podcasts. And it helps a lot when you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast that you enjoy. Thank you for listening and for your support.